Welcome back to Effort Over Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleeth. On today's episode, I sit down with Patrick Vellner. Now, if you've been listening to this show for quite a while, you may have heard of this episode. We released this episode a little over a year ago, but I thought it had so much uh, information, so impactful, that I wanted to re-release it for those of you who haven't checked it out. Pat Vellner is not only a Cross the Games badass, he's also a chiropractor by trade. And I really enjoyed what we spoke about today in regards to movement being medicine, how he balances chiropractic practice with uh, training movements in medicine and becoming a new father, talking about how to balance those different things in his life, what his career looks like moving forward, and what are some of his favorite events at the CrossFit Games. I enjoyed this episode a ton. I hope you do as well. Simple ask, if you like the episode, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Helps us out, gives us an idea of what type of guests to bring on in the future. It would mean a lot to us. So without any further ado, let's dive into a great episode with Patrick Vellner about podium performances and crushing CrossFit Games. Let's go. Where are you at in the world right now and what do you have going on? Um, I'm actually back in Alberta. My parents, that's where I grew up. My parents are still here. So they have a nice place on a lake in Sylvan Lake. So we just drove out kind of the last two days and now I'm here kind of for a week and a bit. I've got a good friend of mine I grew up with getting married on the weekend and it's my partner's birthday today and my little brother's birthday today and my younger brother just had a new baby as well so we kind of got a lot of things going on and we're gonna so we're gonna have a little party tomorrow no Thursday to kind of celebrate several things and then uh, try to relax yeah for a few days before the wedding and yeah so it's good nice time to come home there's lots of things to do and people to see and so relaxing holidays but i also i don't do really well with idle hands so it's nice i've got enough time enough things to keep me busy in the next few days so what does that look like for you you just come off a second place finish the crossfit games your new dad obviously want to talk about all that stuff um but are you a guy who like let's loose are you are you basically like you finishing the competition you're out of the bar doing your thing are you the guy that's out there dancing at the wedding or are you a little bit more reserved are you seem like kind of guy can go one or two ways i don't know <laughs> i probably am at times, both of those people, um, <laughs> I think I, I'm, I'm like a little bit of an extreme personality, I think. So once I start to tilt in one direction, I tend to kind of go all the way over. Um, and then, you know, I'll reset and figure it out for the rest of whatever I'm doing. But um, I think this week will probably be, you know, a little more reserved for the first few days. And then we'll, we'll go to the wedding. And we'll have lots of fun. Uh, I definitely I think the, the games is kind of an interesting situation because you spend so long kind of being focused and dialed in and, and, you know, maybe, uh, limiting yourself in a lot of things that you would like to indulge in. So right after that's all done and you kind of get to take the governor off, I think, uh, it's easy to, to tip off the rails a little bit. So <laughs> I, right after the games, I definitely, you know, I ate some shitty food and I, you know, poisoned my body a little bit for a couple of days, but that's good. It's all kind of part of the process for me. I think then I, I got, it makes me really want to get back to that routine. For sure. For sure. And so speaking of the routine, uh, let's talk about, it. so, you and uh, Michelle, and you guys have a baby, uh, Owen. Now, how yes. old is Owen? Like, how old? Uh, eight weeks. Eight weeks. Oh, just my God. Just over two months. Yeah, and just so, over two months now. Let me ask you this. So I had, um, you know, children as I was competing in the CrossFit Games. Definitely changed things for sure. Um, with your first baby, two, uh, excuse me, two months before the CrossFit Games, what, um, I know it obviously changed a lot of whatnot. But what was unexpected about it, right? Like there's obviously so many amazing things and you have a lot of support. I was listening to what you were talking about with Justin from Wayne Chaka, but 
Anything come to mind that was just like super unexpected about having a baby and being a dad? Hmm. Um, let me think about really unexpected. I think that one thing that we do really well is plan and organize. <laughs> so um, I think that maybe to, to that point, I think part of it is that it, there's only so much planning and organizing you can do. You can have the best laid plans and um, babies really can derail plans quite quickly. So, you know, going from being able to plan my days very, you know, very methodically, very to the letter, um, suddenly you had to have a little more flexibility. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to live a little more of that experience in the coming months. Uh, we were quite fortunate that before the games, like he was born basically for five days before I had to compete in the semifinal event. So as of then, Michelle's mom was out visiting us and ready to kind of help take the load a little bit. So we had a few more hands on deck. And since he's been born that month leading up to the games from there, um, both of her parents were visiting us on the island and helping out a little bit. So just like when I, if I had to go and do things or train and engage in that and sort of, you know, disengaged from parenting for a couple hours yeah. it wasn't just michelle on her own right so it was we were kind of really lucky in the sense that i i had the freedom to do that when i had to and and it wasn't like i didn't need to feel super badly about it so you know in the coming months when we are really freewheeling it on our own and where we take the training wheels off where you don't have the grandparents helping out then it's going to be a little more of that even but you know i think that was really the thing is that we like to be quite organized and babies are at best unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny when we first had kids, you don't realize the value. I mean, you know, that family is important, of course, but when you have family that helps you with your children, it's just a game changer for anybody who doesn't have it. I mean, to be able to go out, go be able to go do things, be able to distribute the, the workload is critical. So congratulations to you guys on having the family around, be able to do that. And I, you know, yeah, having thanks. kids is like, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I remember when we first had my daughter, I, I told my mom, I was like, hey, I read this book. It told me exactly how to, you know, uh, get Ava to sleep throughout the night. We're just going to follow this book. It's going to be perfect. I remember my mom just looked at me. She's like, she's like, okay, Jason. Okay. You know, because she knew like, you know, it's not as simple. It's not always so regimented. Like you can read all the books you want, but you just kind of kind of live it. So I'm sure you guys are yeah. going through that Oh, right for now. sure. And, and I think that we're very much like that, right? Like we're people who like to control our circumstances and situations and, and that it's just hard to do. And we are, we've been lucky that our parents are very flexible and, you know, Michelle's mom is retired now. My mom is retired. Like my dad is all but retired and that neither of our groups of parents live on the Island. So it's nice that they had the freedom and flexibility to come and help at kind of a very crucial time. Um, because you know, we, we won't have that all the time. And then you're right. It is really helpful and having friends or family who can even just set you free for a night to go have a date night or something. Right. And, um, it, it is super helpful, but yeah, I, I agree with you. We, you can learn, you can read all you want and nothing quite prepares you for the real thing. Um, so I think that having, having some extra experienced adults around who've done oh, it yeah. a time or two is extremely valuable. So we always joke, it's like referring to a more adulty adult, right? Like someone who's, who's, who's already a more experienced veteran adult. Like we're still learning, right? <laughs> For sure. And so you're, you're 31, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're 31. And so when did you finish chiropractic school? Uh, 2019. So it would have been June of 2019. So two years ago, basically, and change. Yeah. So, I mean, when we last saw each other in person, I think, yeah. Well, I don't know if it was last part time, but we sat down at Wadapalooza a couple of years ago. 
And I had a great right. conversation with you, really enjoyed that. And I just remember thinking to myself, this guy is finishing chiropractic school, or maybe you were, you were like just about to or whatnot. You were you coming off a really dominant uh, uh, finish at Wadapalooza. And it just seems like you have a lot of different things going on, but you've been able to be pretty successful at quite a few of them. And here you are, you're just coming off of second place. You have a, uh, you know, uh, you're a chiropractor by trade and it seems like the sky's the limit. You just had a baby. So I guess my question for you is like, what does a typical day look like for you? Are you, I imagine you're not practicing right now as a doctor of chiropractic, but I could be, are you or, or no? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Oh, you are I'm not, not, I'm not like full time. I, I only, one of the, one of the really nice things about spending so much time in school is you sort of get the freedom to determine your own schedule. <laughs> so I've been really lucky. The clinic that I work at, um, they, they were kind of a, started as a very sport oriented clinic uh, and have kind of morphed over years to be, you know, very multidisciplinary and very kind of all encompassing. But they love that I was a high level athlete and it's kind of a good attraction for their clinic. It's good marketing. It's great. We got along super well. And and I was very upfront that, you know, periods of the year I travel and, I, you know, I'll, I'll have to book days and I can only work so much. And um, my plan from the beginning was to to not spend two, three years not practicing and, and getting rusty and losing skills and and then try to come back and, and dust all that stuff off. Um, the plan was to just, you know, keep it at a lower amount, you know, work two to three days a week. Uh, keep those skills sharp, you know, have something that'll disengage me from CrossFit and kind of take my mind somewhere else so that, you know, in, in four or five years or whenever it was that I wanted to, to retire from competitive CrossFit, I could transition very quickly and easily. It would be like such a quick pivot. I just would pick up more clinic days and bam, off you go. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, training for the games. I was, I was in the clinic two days a week. Um, nothing crazy, but it's enough that like on my rest day and my active recovery day, I'm in the office and then my other days of the week I'm training. And so, um, that's sort of how most days look like, in, and especially as you get in critical periods of the season where you're kind of peaking, yeah. um, it'll, it'll look a lot like that, where if I'm not at the clinic, I'm training. And if I'm, you know, if I'm not training, I'm at the clinic and one fortunate byproduct of, of lockdowns and things for me this year was, I actually, you know, I got my act together and I made a home gym and got everything organized. So now with baby, if I have two sessions in a day, I might go to the gym for one and then I can be home for the other one and I can help with a lot more childcare and stuff like that. So it's given me a lot of freedom to, to morph my schedule into what I want it to look like. And my partner, fortunately right now is on, is on mat leave. So she's got a lot of freedom, but right. it's sort of the same thing. She's a family doctor who's just finished residency. So, um, as we, as baby gets older and, and we, we can sort of decide what we want our schedule to look like, like she may initially just pick up a handful of days in a week and maybe offset them with the days that I work in the clinic. So on any given day, we can have somebody who's hands-on with, with Owen and, and I can still have the days to do the training that I want to do. And so we've kind of, we've, we've meshed our lives pretty well. So things that That's... either one of us is, does a lot of sitting still, but uh, it, it really, it works well together. And, and so we've kind of planned our lives around that. And so, you know, with your chiropractic background, I am curious, I, I want to get into your training. I want to get into the games, of course, but I, I am curious on the chiropractic side. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of like deep tissue work. I think there's a lot of value. I think there's a lot of value in chiropractic work. Um, for what you've seen from being in the clinic to being in as an athlete, you're kind of seeing on both sides, right? You're probably seeing some deconditioned people come in with some whatever challenges they have. 
you've probably worked with some higher level people and they have their own challenges, whatever that is. I'm curious from a chiropractic, deep tissue, uh, just like an everyday life perspective, what are, what do you think people should be doing for regular maintenance? Like, I'm not talking like high, high level. I'm just talking about on a base level from your experience, what do you think most people most of the time should be doing to maintain from a chiropractic, deep tissue? What, what's the minimum requirement you think? You're going to love this one. Um, exercise. Okay. I think that, so I think that li lifestyle intervention is like the number one thing. I think one of the biggest roles that we have, you know, we're kind of primary contact. So a lot of people come with complaints, mostly by nature of our field. We see a lot of people who are, you know, highly motivated or, or a lot of like preventative care, people looking to, to make sort of changes to either fix problems they have or avoid problems in the future. So I think that realistically, we do a lot of educating people on the nature of their problems, what things that they can do to avoid exacerbating them or, or to improve them in the future. And, and that like motion is lotion, man, like your joints want to move, your muscles want to move, that's what they're made to do. So I think that, you know, we spend a lot of time nowadays in sedentary lifestyle and, you know, sitting at desks or behind phones and computers. And, um, you know, the, the people that I see and more advanced age that are super healthy and happy, uh, there are people who are really active and they're looking to stay active. And, and I think that that's the number one thing is if you can find ways to incorporate more of that into your daily life, like either changing habits or I don't know, finding ways to walk more bike to work, whatever it is, um, that you avoid a lot of those problems. Like you, you stay ahead of it, right? You don't have to worry about getting joint care or tissue care or whatever, because you avoid those issues. It doesn't need to always be super high impact, um, but just keeping joints moving is super great for almost all kind of pathologies, like even people with arthritis and stuff like that. Like those are the remedies. Um, so yeah, like at the end of the day, the more people can stay moving, the longer they're gonna stay moving. Um, and it's otherwise it's a tailspin. Like as soon as you stop it, like, you know, it gets harder to move and then you don't wanna move. And then it's like, it, you, you really quickly can end up in a downward spiral. So, and just like that, you can generate positive momentum. The more you move, the easier it becomes to move. The more you like moving, the less you have like fear apprehension. You don't feel those barriers. Like, so that's often what happens is people get, you know, they get hurt because they haven't been moving as much and then they get fearful of movement and then whatever. So you've got to try to swing the pendulum the other direction. Um, but that would be the most basic thing is just yeah. to start moving. Whatever level it is, ba at base level, could be next to nothing. And that's sometimes what our interventions look like is like finding the level that you can get somebody involved and then meet them where they are and then slowly build up from there. Right. Um, so yeah. hundred percent. Hey, preaching to the choir on that one. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so, no, that's what and, I said. I yeah. knew you'd like that one. <laughs> and so speaking of movement, right, you're obviously on the higher end of movement, I would say, and you move quite often. Um, what does training look like typically Let's just let break it down. So you did the Atlas Games, which was an online competition to qualify you for the CrossFit Games. Uh, you won that. And then, correct, correct? Yeah. You won that. And then leading up into the CrossFit Games, like what does your training typically look like throughout the duration of the year? Like, are you a two-session guy, three-session guy? I mean, you've been pretty consistent. You've hit the podium four times, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's legit. Um, what does your training typically look like? It depends on the time of year. Obviously, a lot of um, off-season training, you're doing a few more of those kind of single session days, maybe sessions that might be just weightlifting, just whatever. And it depends on what you need to work on, right? Like last year, 
um, I was recovering from a groin injury from state before stage one. And, uh, I, I spent until almost December doing o- almost strictly rehab and, and very foundational movements, very static positions, like nothing very explosive or dynamic. Like I didn't build that stuff in until, you know, after, till after the open almost. Right. So it depends on what the goals are. Like for me, I have, I have been doing this for a long time. So my base is strong. And I, I don't need to learn a lot of new skills. I don't need to do a lot of that. So a lot of it is, is, is building strength. Like at the end of a season, you know, tearing things down a little bit and then trying to spend time on foundational things. So you're much lower intensity for a long time. And I'm doing a lot more just joint stability, core stuff, like rebuilding a lot of that base, maybe lots of like low intensity aerobic stuff to just build a strong aerobic base. And then you sort of build up from there when he gets time to prepare for a competition. You have to look at what the competitions you're doing are Uh, last year was kind of unique because we knew that the semifinal was going to be online. So you have to look at what, you know, what am I going to do in an online competition? So to prepare for that, like I might do a little less running, do a little less swimming, do a little less things like that. Cause I know we're not doing it. Um, so then after that, going into the games, you've got to start to build that stuff up maybe with a little more urgency than you otherwise would like my base at, you know, in the gym CrossFit was really strong because I needed that for the Atlas games. And then now that next five weeks pre games, I've got to build the athleticism up again that you see at the games, the agility, the running, the sprinting, the change of directions, the biking, the swimming, the climbing, like that kind of stuff that we see less often in an online competition. So sometimes it's just looking for me, it's so much like I compete. So it's looking at what are the stages I'm going to compete at? What are the elements involved in that competition? And just setting those checkpoints along the way of the season and saying, okay, I feel like for this to be, for this skill to be at the level I want it to be at the games, I have to start working on it three months ahead. All right, cool. Build that up. Um, so for certain things that you only see once a year, like, you know, the swimming mountain biking, whatever it might be, um, you have to build out from where that competition is and set aside the time. But last year being mostly online, you've also got to make it there. So you've right, got to make right. sure that the skills you need to get past those different gates are, are sharp because if you don't, if you don't do it, if I spend all of the year working on my rock climbing, because I think right. we might see it at the games and then I, I bomb out at semifinals, it doesn't, it didn't matter. Right. So you do need to make sure that those things are, are ready and, and you're, you're as prepared as you need to be for each stage, because if you don't make it past there, then it's done anyway. So right. I think a lot of it as a competitor is just is looking at where you're going to compete, trying to have an honest assessment of what that competition looks like, has looked like historically, and then just working backwards. Um, and, you know, there's things this last year I started, you know, I'm not getting any younger. So uh, with this year, we're seeing a lot of new guys coming in who are 21, 22, 23, who are really, really good. Um, and I have to train differently than they do. Uh, you know, I've been, again, I have a strong base, but my volume is lower than it has been in the last several years of my career because you have to worry about injury prevention and things like that. And I spend a lot more time (coughs) doing very basic, just like rehab style stuff. And then I I have a very careful and deliberate with the way I dose intensity in my training. And, um, we worked something out this year that worked very well. Uh, but I only do high intensity days, maybe three times a week. Okay. And, uh, and I, I do certain types of volume training. We're careful with the way we dose volume in certain movements. And a lot of that is just, you learn over time. And I, I work with Michelle Atondra as my coach. I've worked with her for five or six years now. And so 
we just, you learn every year. And you, if you're paying attention, you sort of learn what are the best ways for you to move forward. And, and she's done a great job of that. And, and I, like you said, I've got four podium finishes in six years. I've, I, she's never given me reason not to trust her. And uh, we, we speak very openly and candidly about how I feel and, and how to, we're going to prepare for the season. And, and it's worked really well. I love it, man. Well, I, I want to ask you, I want to kind of back up a little bit. You said, yeah. hey, I had four podium finishes in six years, which, you know, is incredible. You started off your CrossFit Games career, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, on a team. Is that right? Yeah, 2015. So that, in, including that year, seven years, I guess. So including yeah. that year. So I am curious. So in 2015, you're on a team, then you pivot to individual. And what is that like? Um, so I did individual, pivoted a team, and then, and then uh, you know, was, was out. But you went team for a year and then went individual. And I actually think that's a really cool way to introduce yourself to the sport because you can introduce it in a team atmosphere where it's a little less pressure, a little bit, but you at least get a glimpse of what the CrossFit games are like. And then you shift an individual. How did you think that set you up for success going from team to individual? Um, and would that be a recommendation for anybody looking to get into the sport? Yeah. I actually competed against you in team that year. Yep. 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 That yeah, was a, yeah. I saw a lot of your ass in a lot of events. Just I was behind you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it depends a little on on what your skill set is, right? Um, and it is, you know, it's a different look to the competition. I think that there's not not necessarily net less pressure. I think you can probably attest to this, but the pressure is different. I think when you're on a team, there's a high level of accountability to the members of the team. Um, and at least if you're a good team uh, and you have good team members, I think you have that. Um, you know, if somebody gets complacent or stops carrying, the wheels fall off the team really quickly. So nobody wants to be that person. Um, so to keep the unit running smoothly, like there is pressure on you from everybody else. And you're kind of applying that same pressure to everybody else as well. So it's a different kind of situation. Um, at that point in my career, I competed as an individual at regionals in 2014 was like, that was like, I, I just started CrossFit basically. Um, and I took like a fifth place in the Canada East regional. And it was like, it was, it was sweet, very surprising success. And I think I, coming from the sport background I had, I got lucky on a couple of the events that came up and I won a couple events and I got smashed to pieces in a couple events. And so at that time, the six person team system, um, I feel like that year, 2015 was maybe the last year you could kind of have specialists in the team world um, and get by on it. You wouldn't be the best team, but there were certain workouts where there were more workouts where you weren't working as a team, but it would be like, okay, the three men go and you can divide the work however you mm, want. So if you have yeah. someone who's exceptional at gymnastics, they can do 50% of the reps. The other two guys split 50% of the reps. If you have a lot of barbell, you can do that. So I feel like it used team used to look a little more like that. And that year was maybe the last of that era as everything was shifting more to like a lot more things like worm teamwork, syn synchro stuff. Um, and our team was a little bit of, we had a couple of specialists and I was more of the general generalist guy on the men's side. But um, what it did is that whole year of training for a team team was at that time too, a lot more sprint interval type work where you like, you'd work really hard, really fast. And then you get to rest while somebody yeah. else worked. Right. right? So my biggest weaknesses at that point as an athlete was my, my power output, my, my top end strength, things like that. Coming from gymnastics background, I didn't have strong weightlifting. I didn't have like really good, uh, you know, power output on machines or things like that. 
but you needed that in the team world at that point. So I spent an entire year just like hammering like my strength numbers, my power output on certain things and, and like high output interval style training. Um, so then when I pivoted back to individual, I had basically just filled all my holes because I spent an entire year doing almost exclusively that. And my skills in the other areas didn't go away. I was still good at the gymnastic stuff. I was still good at my aerobic base was pretty good. Um, and so I just, it, it was, it was really easy for me to then go back to individual and just be a very complete athlete. Whereas had I got tried to go individual 2015, I maybe could have qualified in one of the bottom positions, but I would have been, you know, a 30th place guy probably because I would have just got crushed on a few different things, but I didn't have the holes in 2016. So it gave me the, the, the opportunity to work exclusively on my weaknesses with a coach and with a team to push you and hold you accountable. Um, which was huge for me. And I think I, I enjoyed the team experience, but I think I always knew that I was going to compete as an individual and that was right. more where I was planning on going. So I think it maybe um, confirmed that for me, like spending a year on the team and dealing with team is a challenge and mm-hmm. managing personalities, managing people. Like I think I'm, I'm very comfortable with how I manage myself and I, I, I sometimes am impatient with the way um, other people react to adversity or things like that. You know, I've unfortunately made it a habit in my career to build up massive amounts of adversity and then overcome that. And I'm very composed about that stuff. And I understand that it's 15 events or 14 events and I know how to deal with it. And I'm very even keeled and almost boring, like flatline in the way that I approach competition. Like I never get too high and never get too low. And that's just how I am. Um, and so dealing in a team where some people would be crying after an event and then some people would be elated. And it was just like this huge challenge. And like, how do, how do I have to deal with everybody's needs in order to keep the team functioning well, which is what you need to do as a good teammate is like, I need to talk to you differently than I talk to you and do this and that. And I found it exhausting. (laughs) And so I, it's not that like, it's, it's, it's fun. The highs are high, the lows are low. Right. And I, I think that at the end of that, that week, I was, I was fun. I got to see the games. I got to experience the competition floor. I got to get a taste for what it was. Um, and I got to do the team thing, enjoy the experiences and the development that came with that. But I really got to see that like, boy, I think I really would be better off doing this on my own. And I think that I, I like my own company in a competition atmosphere. And I think that that's, you know, that's what I want to do at least for the next little while of my career. Um, so we'll see, you know, maybe at some point I, I find the the right time and the right people and the right, whatever circumstance to compete on teams again. But definitely at that point, I like, I left and I was like, woof. Yeah. I, uh, I'm emotionally it, drained. Right. Yeah. I mean, it goes both ways, right? You have totally. other people to lean on, but at the same time, right. There, there are different personalities. They deal with things differently. They, like you said, dealing with adversity, right? Some people deal with it one way, other people deal with it another, but when you're individual, um, you know, the kind of onus is on you. So I, I hear you. And, and yeah. speaking of individual, um, obviously you came off a really good, um, finish this past year, last year and the year before, if I'm not mistaken, you didn't, uh, you didn't get to aromas last year. Um, yeah. right. And, and then four out of six top three finishes. And then two of them, like, I think you took 16th in 2019. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So what was so. it 16th like? 16th and ninth, I think. Yeah. So what was it like going like top three, top three, top four? three right and then 16th was that motivating was that what was that experience like because i remember when you uh 
kind of got knocked out. And I was shocked, right? Because obviously you came in as a heavy favorite to perform well. Um, did that just light a fire under your butt and get you ready? Or was it detrimental? What was that like mentally? I mean, because you talk about being even keeled. I mean, speaking of the 2021 event, right? You had a, you know, you had maybe a few tops bad events, right? Maybe the first one you consider a little bit, but it wasn't terrible. But you had great finishes traditionally in this last year. What was it like kind of not making the cut in 2019? And then did that mentally to prepare you for 20? And then again, going into 2021, I'm curious what that was like. Yeah, it was interesting. I think that 2019, I was definitely, you know, I, I felt like I was in as good a shape as I could have possibly been going in there. And I was in the right kind of place to give Matt a run for his money. And I think that that year, um, I approached the games differently than I ever have. And I basically, you know, I, I made a, aggressive decisions in the first event and I crashed and burned a little bit. And I kind of gave myself some like heat exhaustion a little in the first event. And then I just was never able to plant my feet well again. I, I was really struggled for the next couple of events. And that kind of feeling where you're like, typically in a competition, when I feel that prepared, if I give an effort that feels very strong, it's enough for like a top five finish, a minimum top 10. Um, and if I, if I stumble or have a, an error or two, I'm still, you know, a top 15 finish. And that year I just was like, yeah, I could put an effort in that felt like as much as I could do. And I'd be 12. Um, and I was just having trouble. Yeah. I feel like I, I never quite recovered from that first event. Um, and the Saturday where we ran a little sprint, uh, I was basically in the, I was in the 10th place position, which yeah. was the last cut position going into that event. So I needed a top 10 finish to guarantee I'd stay in. And so you just kind of back against the wall. Like I went as hard as I could and I got a penalty on a, like a line step. And it's the way it goes. Like, it's unfortunate. I, I didn't feel like that year reflected my fitness though. So it's unfortunate that's what competition is like. You know, sometimes you gamble, you make decisions, and sometimes you get tough breaks, and sometimes things happen and whatever. But I certainly didn't look at it as a reflection of like, oh, you know, you were this. This wasn't an accurate reflection of my ability level that year. Um, so it sucked. It was, it was hard to sit on the sidelines and watch. Um, and I think, of course, you'd never want to have that experience again. The next year it was a weird year. Very weird year. Um, you know, I got, I ended up getting hurt two weeks before the games, tearing my groin. Um, so I, I didn't, I wasn't expecting to advance. Um, if it wasn't the games, I wouldn't have competed. <laughs> and so it felt kind of weird. Like any event where I had to squat, I was taking a bottom 20 finish. Um, but if I didn't have to squat, I could be like top 10 ish. Right. And so it was just like, it was just, it, it was what it was. It was basically what I expected. I wasn't able to squat the two or three weeks leading up to the games. And I was barely able to squat then. So when you have like a one rep max squat and things like that, it just, the writing was on the wall a little bit. So I think I came ninth and, you know, I, I actually ended up quite close to qualifying, which it's, it's actually a good thing. I didn't because had I advanced, I would have trained for it and I would have gone and then it would have given me, you know, two months less rehab. Um, and then I don't know what that would have meant for this year. Right. Isn't so, so having the time off, yeah, having the time off was good for me. Like, I think had I had the games been able to run when it was meant to run, they pushed it back almost two months. Um, I probably would have been okay, but that extra two months of like, they pushed it back kind of one week at a time. So everybody was at peak training and trying to hold their peak shape for like two months. 
which is, I wasn't the only one who went in with some injuries. A couple other guys had to withdraw prior to for injuries. And that's sort of just an unfortunate byproduct of an unfortunate situation. And it's right. not CrossFit's fault and it's not any, like, so that's how I tried to look at it that year. Frankly, I was kind of impressed. I finished. <laughs> I was like, not really feeling like it would be a, a very good year, but, um, yeah, I, perspective on it was just that it gave me more time to address the issues properly and take the time it needed. Um, and again, it was hard to watch the top five go and, and compete and, and, and what was a very unique games experience. And it would have been awesome to have that been, experience. It would have been cool, um, especially back at Carson. I mean, back at uh, Aromas, excuse Aromas, me. Aromas, yeah. Uh, I, so I want to, this is the first year without Frazier in a long time. And I was actually just talking to Noah Olson earlier about what that was like. And I'm curious your perspective on that, like behind the scenes, what was it like? Was it just a non-factor like, Hey, or, or was there a different, um, air to the room, like anything different about it? Because for five years in a row, right. You have Matt as a former CrossFit Games champion. Now there's a new opportunity, right? Someone else other than Matt is going to win whoever did that change things on the bus in dynamics, anything or, or not really didn't play a factor. I didn't think so, actually. I thought it might more than it did, but it's it's kind of interesting how you don't notice or care as soon as the competition's underway. Right. Like, the guys you have to beat are the guys in the room, and nobody's really caring about Matt because he's not there. Right. So, And to Matt's credit, he was there. Um, and he very much was like – he was at the games and kind of – he's very aware of that, and he made a point of never – going near where the athletes were because um, he didn't want to be a presence in the room and try to like, and take attention or energy away from the athletes who were there to perform. Um, so, you know, I think he was very intentional about that. Like, and I, I caught up with him after the games and chatted with him a bit. And, um, you know, he's very aware of what his presence means in that area. And, and he didn't want that. So it was cool in the sense that we did know you'd be, there'd be a new champion, but once the competition's underway, like I've done a lot of competitions over the course of the last three or four years where Matt wasn't there. And right. once it started, like you, the, the races take shape and you just pay attention to the people you have to pay attention to. Like by day four, day five, you know, it's pretty, the, the pack starts to separate and you, and you know, the races you're in and you know, it's like, well now it's, I don't have to beat Matt. I have to beat Justin. And like, right. you know, I've got to, I've got to hold off Brent. I've got to hold off Saxon. I've got to hold off BK. Like, so you get, you become very aware of the races. At least I do. I can't speak for all the athletes, but, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard not to notice that stuff. And I think whether you like it or not, you know, the guys that are in the lanes next to you and, and I know what those lane assignments represent and I, I know what lane I want to be in. So, you, you know, you're, you're aware of it. So it, it just, I think that that race takes shape and you, you become engaged in that race. I don't think you really worry about who's not there. And so speaking of, I mean, so I totally hear what you're saying. I was just curious your perspective on it. What else, anything else come to mind? Like first year, you know, with kind of some COVID restrictions, some testing, uh, like anything come stand out in your mind, like any event stand out. Like I thought the snatch event was really cool. I thought the clean event was cool. I thought, I, I, I thought the final event, I mean, I thought that you had a lot of really cool events, right? Um, anything come to mind um, in particular? Like I think I watched on the sprint event, the just the run sprint, the 500 meters. And Anything stand out as like a really cool event that just shocked you on how you performed or something you would have done a little bit differently? Um, I would agree that I thought the programming was pretty cool. I know I've heard some, um, you know, some people who are thought it was either skill heavy or, you know, there was not enough like classic CrossFit kind of barbell and gymnastics kind of stuff. But 
I thought that we touched a lot of different things. Like for people who say it was skill heavy, like, I mean, we had probably five events that had like heavy, heavy implements in it, like heavy yoke, heavy deadlift, heavy cleans, heavy snatch. Um, you know, we, we touched everything with 15 events. It's hard to, ha- it's hard <laughs> to have an unwell-rounded event, right? Like, yeah. So um, I thought it was really good. And I actually felt like I, I felt less beat up coming out of the games this year than I have in years. Um, so the programming I think was exciting and fun. Um, and didn't, it wasn't just gratuitous, like right. SmackDown that, that beat the shit out of the athletes for no reason. So, you know, but on the other side of it, I don't know, maybe I was just really well prepared because we did have a lot of people withdraw. We had a lot of injuries and a lot of things like that. Um, you know, a lot of people, well, had a lot of COVID issues, a lot of, uh, people who couldn't make it on visas and stuff. So it was interesting, but on a personal level, like, yeah, I think that this year, the sprint certainly and the snatch would stand out to me as two events where I performed better than I expected. Yep. Um, and they're kind of cool. Again, I don't, I'm not traditionally like a high, high power output performer. I'm not a max lift like performer, but it was good. Cause I had worked a lot on my snatch this year and it was cool to have been more consistent on my high end range. And so it was nice to see that work out. And especially that event, I, I mean, I was second or third at that point and I, and I beat both Brent and Justin who are the guys I needed to beat. So, you know, seeing where I ended up there, I, I basically, I capped my potential watching uh, Guy and and Royce lift those last, like the 300, 305. I wasn't in that race and I knew that. And so I, I feel like I basically, I took a third in that event, which was about as good as I could have hoped for. Right. Um, and I executed as well as I could have. I matched my PR on the, on the big platform after 12 events. And like, it's hard to not be happy about that. hundred um, percent. And that one's pretty tough. Cause you have that. Did you like that? Uh, I heard you talk about a little bit of this with Justin, but, um, I, I personally thought it was, it was a test of your, um, recovery and cause I mean, dude, you're going at it after 12 events, it's not like you're fresh out of the whatever. Um, and you had those rest periods historically, at least for me, when I rest too long, it makes it tough to go lift a super heavy barbell. How did you feel about that? Like, was the rest right or was it too long? I mean, I mean, it is what it is, right? But I'm just curious. Um, do you prefer less, more, or a little bit? What do you like? Um, I, I think that it was, you know, early on when there was 20 guys, uh, it, was, <laughs> it felt long. Right. Um, but we had those warm up bars. So I think, you know, you didn't want to do, we had bars at the side, two bars that you could load and, and hit some reps on. And everybody was trying to be respectful and not like be dropping the warm up bar as somebody's setting up for a lift on the platform. But, um, you know, you could do some, some power snatches, a little bit lighter weight, like keep yourself sharp. So I think that's mostly what people did. I didn't, I tried not to just sit for an entire rotation. Like I would do one or two power snatches and then, um, get out and do your lift. And, and then as the line got a little shorter, it actually got okay. Um, once you got to top 10, you had an extra 10 seconds to lift. And you were going one at a time instead of two at a time. So it went from being like a really long rest to like a bit shorter when you're at, you know, 12 lifters because you're still going two at a time. Oh, yeah. But right. you only have 20 second windows. And then once it got to 10, all of a sudden you're 30 second windows and one at a time. So now you've got a big rest again. And so, okay, you're spending more time. You want to stay sharp on the lighter bars and, and stay warm. And then once you're down to, I think once we hit 280 or 285, like five people dropped off at once. Right. So it, uh, it started going really, really quick again, but it was good. I thought it was like, you you had enough time that 
you could hit a warm up bar if you wanted. Like we had the opportunity to do that. So it wasn't like you were sitting out there with no way to stay warm at all. I didn't um, realize, so, I, I didn't realize you had those bars. I, 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 I was just watching the event as a spectator. Right. But I didn't realize yeah. you had those, um, which yeah, they're a little, tucked, a little, a little tucked to the side for sure. So they were out of the way and maybe not, they weren't drawing attention away from the spectacle, but it was good. Cause I think I agree. It almost becomes a safety concern at a certain point. If that's, you're sitting out there for five, 10 minutes without lifting. And then you got to go snatch 300. Like, you know, I, that's not how I would want to do it. <laughs> no, really. it's, that's, that's t- and then, and then talk to me through the, the sprint event. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was you. I'm, I'm 99%. I watched you. Uh, I want to say it was maybe you and Cole. Was it Cole? No, maybe it was someone else. I don't know. You, we were in the you, same heat. So it's probably, you, it was, was probably it? thinking of the right. You were in the same heat. heat, right? And when I used to work with Hinshaw a lot on my running, we used to always talk about, you know, kind of uh, taking the corner and then essentially making your competitor have a little bit of a longer kind of rotation around that corner. And if I'm not mistaken, you got right in front of him, right in front of the corner, just perfectly positioned, set the person to take a longer pull around. Was that, Is that the I last right? corner? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was me. That was you, right? <laughs> yeah. Dude. And I, I was just watching it. I was just sitting there. I'm, I'm like, yeah. And uh, so anyways, talk me through that event because that was a cool one. So before we, as we're on that point, I, I, it, it, uh, it should be mentioned that. So the person that I cut the corner on was, was Guy Malheros. Oh, and, and he, and he, he won the event. Right. So <laughs> I basically, I body positioned him well, but like, you know, I was running out of legs on that last bit. And when you hit the turf, the soft turf, it felt like you hit like sand, right? Like you started, you started running so slow. It felt like as soon as you hit the turf. And he just had like a whole other gear. Like as soon as we hit the turf, he just took off. So Does he, go he, by he basically, I just call him Guy, but okay. I, maybe Guillaume. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, he basically, I, mean, I did make him run around me, but then he just ran around me and ran in and uh, was, he was much faster, clearly a better sprinter than me. So <laughs> like, no, no problem. But that, that event was one that I, I was really happy with because I didn't expect to, to be that high up. I think I took a third in that one as well. And it was certainly outperforming my expectation. And it was basically all based on strategy and aggression. Like, I think I have a base, I'm a decent runner and that time domain is probably good for me. Um, But that was still at the point of the weekend where I took a really poor finish in event one. I won event two and I was still in the mindset of like, you need to like be aggressive and start clawing some points. Um, So at the start line, we had, I, I think we had a, we had the fastest heat. The top five scores in that heat were from our, our heat or then in that event were from our heat. And how and, much do you uh, think that plays a factor? You know, we were talking, I was talking to Noah about being in the top 10 heat and the importance that has, do you think that had a big importance in this one or, or not as much? Cause you were selling out anyways. I think it does. I think you, you maybe think you're selling out more than you are. I think at the end of the event, everybody's selling out, but probably from like, you know, the 250 to 400 meter mark or like the 200 to 400 meter mark, that pace you settle into, people might be a fraction slower and still feel like they're running fast because you're running at the front of the pack in your heat. But at the end of the day, you're two seconds slower than our heat. And I think I had a lot to do with that because of my strategy. But uh, so I might've been a big role in pulling people along. But uh, I know in our heat, we had like Will Morad, Saxon Panchik, who I knew were fast guys in previous sprint events that we've done at the games, they always do very well. So we had those guys. I didn't know anything about Maheros, but uh, he turned out to be great. 
Um, and the other than that, we had a lot of big bodies. Like we had like Cole Sager, Royce Dunn, Alex Caron, uh, Andre Houdet, like a lot of big guys that I didn't want to get pinned in behind. And like guys like Royce and Cole don't mind bodying you and, and like having some contact. And I just was like, I can, I don't have the energy to both run and fight someone. Like I have just, I have enough juice that if I can just run, I think I'm okay. So you need to like be aggressive in the first 50 to hundred meters and get a, a strong position and then try to hold it. Cause exactly like you're saying, at least then in the worst of cases, you got to run around me. Like right. I make you run a little farther. I make you spend a little more energy. So um, it's hard in that distance, knowing that it's not a sprint at 500 meters for us. Like, you know, if you're a track athlete, maybe, but like, that's like, you need to have a little bit of control in a 500 meter run. Um, and that first hundred meters for our heat, hundred, 150 was pretty much a sprint. Yeah. And there's, um, and there's so, th th those turns were relatively sharp. It wasn't like you were on a track. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. So layer. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I was like early on, I wanted to just get ahead of guys. Cause that last thing you want is to be running behind somebody, you know, you're faster than, but you just can't, they're running in a V and they've knocked you in and you can't get around them. Right. Mm. So avoid that at all costs. And then, you know, get to the front. And like, frankly, I was like, you just got to fly and die a little bit, like run. And then it's going to be really shitty. But as long as you're near the front, you'll just push as hard as you can at the end and it'll be what it'll be. And like, you know, Saxon and Will closed on me in the last bit. So like he passed me, Will ended up passing me in the last little bit. And like Will and I and Saxon were like a photo finish where like we all kind of kicked our chip foot and Will got me and I got Saxon. So they were definitely another 10 meters though. And they'd have both passed me for sure. Like I was starting to run out of legs once we hit the turf because I just ran aggressively at the start. Um, and I tried to take advantage of that body position thing. So it was just, it was aggressive strategy. And in the end, that was the right move. We watched a little bit of um, the heats prior to us. We were heat three out of four and we could see the scoreboard from where we, the start line was. So you could watch the, the athletes start, see who took to the front of the pack and then wait and see the scoreboard and see who's, who finished first, second, third in the heat. Yeah. Um, and and there's in general, strong correlations, right? In, in general, nobody was getting passed in the end. It'd be like, the first one, two, three, maybe the guy who was in second or third would pass to, to win it, to finish the heat and first, but the, the guys who led for most of the run in general won the heat. Yeah. So nobody was dying on that last little bit. So it was like, yeah, get aggressive body position earlier, run, run faster than you want to in the first half of the race. And then, yeah, the first half was all straight and then you had two corners. So you could rely a little bit on positioning on the corners. And then like, I just didn't have that final straightaway mm -hmm. speed on the turf. And that's where I got passed. But, you know, I, I cornered well, I body positioned well in the first bit. And so it was, it ended up being a really good finish. So I was really happy with that because I felt like it felt like I, I, I won it on, on aggression and strategy and not on my, my running skills. Which, which, which I have a question for you on that. Why wasn't anybody drafting on the kayak? So I, I got to ask this because um, you're talking about strategy and, and technique and I, Dude, I think obviously you executed well per what you're saying. Why didn't anybody on the swim or on the kayak draft? Well, I think people do on the swim. Um, I think part of that in the swim is that we don't swim as often likely in big packs. Um, and so if you're not really comfortable in that, I think that there is a cost associated with it. I, I don't draft in swimming much because 
I also don't spot extremely well. Um, and I don't trust the other swimmers in our, in our sport to always be swimming dead straight. So if you're going to just draft and be like, I'm going to look at your feet and that's it. And I'm never going to spot, I'm just going to breathe and swim behind you. I need to know that you're swimming straight. And I think that there's maybe a little bit of mistrust in that, that are, we don't trust each other's skill level. Um, and there's also, if you're swimming in a big pack and drafting, you're getting hit. And I know for me personally, I don't love that. And it, it like ramps my heart rate up if I'm like fighting and wrestling in the water. So I feel like I swim a little better and more efficiently and more effectively if I'm just like a little bit outside of that pack. So again, I can't speak for everybody. In this event, I, I didn't swim aggressively. I, I, I let myself fall off the back a little bit just and my plan was to save my arms a little bit for the kayak, knowing right. that I'm likely a better kayaker than I am swimmer. Um, and then I just, I, I frankly was much worse on the kayak than I expected. I was worse kayaking than swimming. Um, and I think in, in the, because of that, that's partially a result of the decision I made swimming is I do think people actually did draft a bit on the kayaks. And I think being in that pack of boats would pull you along a little bit. And then I, I got in the boat a little bit behind the main pack and, uh, and I just ended up kind of dropping. Um, and I think my body position wasn't great in the kayak. Like I've looked at it a little bit in hindsight and I think I was trying to kayak more like you would in a sprint kayak and not necessarily how you would for a long kayak in a, and in the ones that we had, I think that you needed to lean back a little more to actually plane the boat instead mm. of, I was really plowing water and kind of sinking the front end a bit too much. So you know, I've looked at it a bit, but certainly in that event, I, I just like was, I found that I didn't have any other gear in the, in the paddle. I was just either working really hard to move slow or working slightly less hard to also move slow. So that was just like, unfortunate. I think part of that was, you know, I should have swam harder and been in that pack. And I think it would have been a, a, a better decision. Um, and I, Do you I think thought, people drafted in the pack. Do you think that was a, I mean, cause I'm curious, like if you had just just started getting right on someone's tail, you know, you're talking 15%, maybe easier. I mean, do you think people were thinking in that sense or, or did they just kind of trying to stay alive? I bet you people think again, the swim or the paddle uh, paddle in particular. I mean, I understand your perspective on the swim in particular. Yeah. The sighting. And, and, I, and I think in the, in the swim, people maybe think about it less because you're just like, you're thinking of spotting, you're thinking of swimming, you're trying not to hit people in the kayak, your head up the whole time, your heart rate's actually pretty low you have a lot of time to think about things. So I actually think that probably in the kayak, a lot of people were thinking about it. I haven't seen if there's any footage from the paddle to see how close people were going. Um, part of the problem in that might've been skill level. Like if it's hard, I found for sure I had a tendency to drift um, to the, to the right. Um, so I was paddling a lot, like in one direction. Mm. And I just, you know, if you were finding that it might've been really hard to stay lined up on someone's tail to draft them well if we were just having trouble keeping the boats really straight so there might have been a little bit of skill level involved with that i'm actually quite certain that most people if you were riding in a group were thinking about it like i got passed a couple times and i tried to draft on people for a little period of time and then i just got dropped but um yeah I, I would actually i bet you people were thinking about it and trying to do it whether or not we were doing it well is maybe another yeah, question that's another so that's I, another I, debate yeah i really don't know but um yeah i think people aren't uh like they, they aren't blind to that. And I, I think that probably there was some of that. Um, but I think skill level just becomes a big part of that. Probably some people who were crushing others in the kayak, maybe just had that extra little bit of skill on that and understood how to use it better than others. Um, and yeah, I'm sure that over the, the distance in the paddle, 
was much more significant than the swim. Like the time you spent paddling was more than swimming. So if you were really good at that, you probably benefited a lot. And uh, so switching gears a little bit, how is your relationship? So Canada took two of the top three positions um, at the CrossFit Games, which is, you know, it's huge. And the top 10 was staggeringly uh, not all U.S. based. And traditionally, at least back in the day with the sport, it was very much so dominated, uh, specifically on the men's side, uh, by Americans. Now you're starting to see a little bit more of a diverse group, right? You have some Europeans, uh, even Brazil now with Guy coming in the house, which is awesome. Um, how is your relationship with Brent? Do you guys live nearby each other? Do you guys ever train together? Are you guys, I mean, it seems like you guys are friends. Yeah, we're, we're friends, but I think that it's funny. We get this question a lot. I saw he answered like a Q and a on his Instagram the other day and somebody asked him why we don't, why we don't like live next to each other or something like that. <laughs> Which it just seems like such a funny question. It's like, well, I don't know. You don't just move next to your friends all the time, right? Yeah. Um, we both have lives. And I think in general, you know, the public probably thinks we live closer together than we do because we both now live in Western Canada. Um, he's in Kelowna and I live in on Vancouver Island. But that's like, Canada's big, like the US. Yeah. Like it's like, it's big. Yeah. So we both live in the same province, but like for me to, to say drive to Brent's house, I have to take a two hour ferry and then drive for probably four hours or five hours. So it's like, it's not close. <laughs> you know? right. um, we see each other now and then, and, and uh, you know, more often than not, we see each other at competitions and we catch up and do things. But um, yeah, unfortunately, if we were closer, we might do more things together. But I think we're also the types of athletes who, who actually enjoy training by ourselves. And I think there's a lot of risk involved with, uh, with training with your competition on a daily basis. Um, you know, it'd be fun to spend some time together more in the off season, but as the season ramps up, I think it's nice to have your space and, and have, have the time and freedom to do the things that you need to do and focus on. Um, so, you know, we're at the same time, we're, we're different athletes and, and uh, we need different things and, I think it's probably better for our outcomes that we don't spend a ton of time together. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, if I lived really close to any athletes, I'd, I'd enjoy seeing them from time to time. But I think it, I, I like having my space to do my training and I think uh, it helps me stay very effective and, and good. Well, I mean, you look at the top three, right. And Tia include our, and I don't know. Uh, I mean, a lot of you guys actually probably on both men's and women's side train alone versus being in like these training camps. So there's something to be said about training alone. Uh, and kind of, I mean, if you look at just the men's side, I'll, I'll speak from that, right? Uh, you, Justin, and Brent, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think all of you guys train on your own. And not to mention with you, you have a new baby. You're, you're also a chiropractor. So your schedules don't have to rely on somebody else. You can get it in whenever you can. Um, moving forward, coming into this next year, you, know, you have events coming up uh, that are available to you. Um, what does that look like? And, you know, I heard obviously you want to compete again across the games. How many years do you think you want to do it? And, and what does this year look like for you? That's a good question, Jason. I, like I said, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, people keep reminding me. And it's certainly a, a reminder looking at Justin this like last couple of weeks ago uh, and knowing I'm almost 10 years older than him. Right. So I think it's reassuring seeing guys like, you know, Brent and myself, we're both 30 plus finish on the podium um, you know, I feel good. I felt as healthy as I've been in a while this year at the games and I didn't feel beat up at the end of it. Like 
you know, I've got, I've still got some good, some good jam left in me, but um, you know, every, every sporting career has a shelf life, right? I think it's naive to think otherwise. And um, I'm happy that I, I, the way I've set up my life is certainly busy. Like you said, I, I, I it's hard to coordinate with other people because I really have a, a full dance card and I need to make sure that I, I'm able to do all the things I, I need to do in order to stay competitive and stay successful. So, but at the same time, when the, when the time comes, I'll be able to easily pivot away from an athletic career into my professional career. And I've done that very intentionally. Um, and it's been a lot of work and it, it continues to be a lot of work, but, uh, I'm, I'm happy that I have that. It keeps me relatively stress-free when it comes to competing, knowing that, you know, it's not the, the be all end all in my life. Right. Um, it's yeah. something that I do. It's something fun that I'm able to do, but it's not my whole world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably going to try to give it at least a good, another couple of years. I, I've been lately, what I've, I've been telling people is I've got two bronze medals and two silver medals, and I've got two sets of medals to complete. So I need to, uh, I need to work hard for a couple of years here and try to try to snatch a few gold medals. But, you know, I, uh, I think that I, I, as long as I'm able to compete and be healthy and, and have fun still, and it, it, it's not a relative source of stress, um, then I'm happy to keep doing it. There's always periods of every year where you're, I remember this year actually talking to Scott Panchik a bit about it and being like, Oh yeah. You know, really stressed around a couple events and just it's kind of sitting with him and being like, man, this never goes away. Huh? And he's like, Nope. And we kind yeah. of talked about it a bit. And I think that the day that that sort of feeling goes away is the day you hang up your shoes, right? Like yep. if you don't, if you don't feel that way about it, you don't feel a little nervous, a little stressed, it probably means you don't care. And if you don't care, like get out of the way for somebody who does, um, so I, I, I've learned to kind of embrace that a bit and enjoy that feeling, but you know, I think that there's a fine line between it, it being harmful to you and you're like your mental health or, you know, other areas of your life and being able to identify that and talk to the people around you and know that this is part of the process and this is okay, or this is getting to be, um, self-destructive or, you know, yeah. a part of your life that you, maybe you don't need anymore. Maybe it's, it's starting to be too much stress and, so for now, it's still fun. I'm still enjoying it. I had a great time this year. I felt good, better than I have in a couple of years. And uh, so I'm happy to keep riding that as long as it's that way. You know, I don't want to be dragging my broken body over the cross, over the, the finish line at the CrossFit Games to take last place. But as long as I'm, I'm competing in a way that when I'm you're on the podium. With, yeah, I mean, that's right. So, right? It's something it's, that helps. It's hard me. to look at this year and then say like, oh, you know, I should retire because I, I'm still doing well, right? Dude, so something that helped me was, uh, you know, so I competed um, seven years individually and then once as a team. And every year I would just talk to my wife. Like, this is like in, once we had kids, I would just talk to my wife like a month after the game, just be like, hey, where's your head at with, with you and I committing to the next year? And we would just have these conversations every single year. We would just set up a time to like actually sit down and talk about it. That was very helpful for me because what I realized is that, you know, it wasn't just me competing. It was also the whole family and the stress that goes on it. And so that definitely helped our relationship. Cause every year we would both make a commitment, like, okay, we're both in it. Or over time you start saying, Hey, you know, maybe you got another year or maybe you got whatever. So that, that helped me. I'm just, I'll just, I'm just sharing that with you. For sure. Well, and I think it's a good point that, you know, we've talked a bunch about it this year and your point about it being a team is, is well met. Like we have talked more about it this year than previous about that now having a baby and things like that. So like this year, her and the baby were at the games and my parents were there fortunately to help her kind of in the days because I was, you know, otherwise indisposed. And, uh, I think that it's, you know, you feel that like at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's good. I finished second. Like it was a great positive experience and nice to have a kind of a solid rebound year from a couple of years that were 
less than stellar and you know to share that with the team and be like you know the only reason i'm able to do that and, and commit to it and be successful is because my parents were there to help michelle and and you know she her parents were there during the months of training prior to to help kind of prepare us and she's been you know taking the lion's share of uh of child care duties for you know eight weeks up to the games so you have to really appreciate that stuff and know that at the end of the day like i stand on the podium but like that's our achievement right as right. a group um so yeah it's it's a very good point and i think this year kind of also to your question about what the future looks like in the short term is um there are other competitions and things as well and various things going on and we've got to sit down and, and mark a few things on the calendar and decide what we're going to do that makes sense to us as a family but we want to do a few things and and travel a bit because the other reality is we've both either been working or in school for the last forever in my entire career. Right. So I've been very much a fly in fly out competitor. Like I show up the day before a competition, I, I execute and then I leave and I disappear. And, uh, I I'm jealous of a lot of my colleagues who get to, they show up and they compete and then they go on holidays and they, they hang out wherever the competition was for four or five days and you tour and you enjoy it. Right. Um, and I've never really been able to do that. And this year, Michelle's on mat leave and baby's small and portable still. And uh, yeah, the plan is to kind of maybe pick a couple cool off season events um, and uh, and travel around them, right? Go in, compete, try to try to put a good competition forward and then enjoy maybe a week of, of holiday together, right? And get to do those things together. Because in the last so awesome. five, six years of my career, it's been very much me a competition and then you know we come home and then it's us and and because she's had to stay at work or she's had to be at school or doing various things and um so we've very much been living this this career separately and, and only up until this year is kind of the first time um not last year as well but last year was a weird year uh that we've been doing it together um so we really want to take advantage of that this year and enjoy yeah. it more for for the opportunity that it is do and it. i think for years for years we just haven't it's been like it's been a thing it's been a box that i have to check and i show up and do it and it's it's felt more like that and this year i, I really feel like it's um, we're going to take advantage of some opportunities in ways we never have before because we've never been able to so we're we're really excited to have the chance to do that and she's excited to travel and be a part of it and, and be able to engage in it a way that in a way that she hasn't been able to and so we're excited. Like, I mean, the games will be the games and that's sort of, you know, a year away, but in the matter of, you know, three months from now, four months from now, when there's some off season stuff coming up, um, it'll be cool to have the squad there. Good. That's awesome. Some of my best memories, you know, competing was like, we went to the did a CrossFit tour in New Zealand and my wife came and we just, dude, we, we competed. And then afterwards we stayed and it was just like great memories. Cause you're on like this high after you perform and dude, I, I wish you, uh, you know, Owen, baby, or your Michelle, the whole, your whole crew and Michelle, your coach, by the way, um, she's obviously <laughs> done an incredible job. Uh, you've been so consistent. I just hope that your entire family, your in-laws, you guys get to have a great, uh, you know, you, you're off for the next what week on holiday. You got some weddings coming up. I'll let you get back to your family and everything you have going on for people who are interested more about what you're doing. Um, you know, what's the best place to go check out? I imagine, let me guess, Instagram, is that the best place? That's pretty much my only place right now. Um, so yeah, that'd be the best place. I'm, I'm doing some currently in the middle of near, nearly done doing a bunch of event recaps from the games this year. So yep. I think you can go there and check out some thoughts that I had on uh, various different events throughout the weekend and, and what was going on behind the scenes with all the athletes and what was going on in my head. So that's sort of what's going on right now on my Instagram. But yeah, otherwise that's a 
the best place to just keep up with what I'm doing. Well, dude, new dad, congratulations. Chiropractor, top second man, second fittest man in the world. Right now you got a lot going on. So congratulations. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me on.